So who here, like me, loves road construction? The books tell you when you're doing public speaking to get the congregation, the audience on your side. I think maybe I've done the opposite. You don't love it. You don't love the road construction. You don't enjoy it. No? It's, it's helpful because it prepares us for something new. Um, you don't enjoy Days of Allah currently. Or Houseman, 281 going north. Or south. Or anywhere. You're not enjoying that, are you? Have you ever had a, the experience of though going back to a place that had road construction that you missed? So like you, you lived a different place. It's amazing how fast it happens somewhere else. When you're not going through the long process, and, and sometimes the things are long and big, you don't get to see them, uh, and there's one coming at 64 and I-10. Merry Christmas. <laughs> they put up a sign. They'll say, like, this was funded by, and they'll you know, put the number up, which always has lots of commas in it. Um, and the name of the people who are responsible for it, so you know it's coming. And then, then the process begins, utilities and widening and, and the pavement, and then the, they start over, and it goes a long time. It's just a horrible, long process that you go through. Um, but if you move away from a place and then go back, you drive on robes you used to know, but they've changed them, and it happened in an instant because you weren't there for the process. That's why I love road construction. It helps me know it's going to be different. And can you imagine Houseman 281? Days of Allah for me. I can't, I can't tell you what it's going to feel like to do 35 miles an hour. <laughs> I'll be running free. <laughs> Windows down, my ears flapping in the wind. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. We miss out on that process. It, it, we get used to the way things are, but with that, it jars us out of it. It's going to be different, so we prepare for it. Walking works the same way. Trails that we walk, we use phrases like, well, I could do that with the because uh, I know it like the back of my hand. I could do it with my eyes closed. We could do it without seeing. We just, just know these trails. And that works until something changes. This happened to me in a path that I know well from my bed to the bathroom. <laughs> I've done it many times. I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at it. Almost every time I make it there, except recently, on my way to the bathroom in the dark, I could do it with my eyes closed, I feel the sharp pain in my toe first, then my shin hits something, and then I go rolling over with my shoulder into the ground and lay on the ground and wonder what just happened to me. An ottoman. And if you don't know what an ottoman is, you haven't been married for 17 years. It is in addition to the chair. The chair is insufficient without its friend, the ottoman, and so... I tripped over the ottoman on my way to the bathroom, laid on the ground, my foot was hurting and my shin was hurting, my shoulder was hurting, but mostly I was just confused as to what had happened on the path I know so well that something was in my way. And then I remembered I had carried it upstairs. I had put it there in the way, but I'd done it so many times that in the darkness I thought on autopilot I could get myself to where I was going. That's the way our lives go. We do paths. We do life. We do who we are for so long. We adjust to the way that is, what we see, and in the dark, we bump into things and it hurts, but we pick ourselves back up and try to move on. Here in this Advent season, we've been looking at ways in which God invades that which we accept as normal but isn't his will. 
whether in the lighting of candles or the telling of stories, each week we have moved closer to two days from now, the eve of that great celebration of Christ coming among us. And so we started by looking at characters and stories like John the Baptist, strangely dressed, strangely eating, strangely located, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Where'd he cry? Make straight the paths. John was that sign that says road construction is underway. Something different is coming. The king is going to walk this highway, make smooth the path, bring up the valleys, take down the mountains, and make a path so that that which is coming can get where it's going. The kingdom of heaven is near. Then we looked at Mary's song. She sang a song of ancient promise, of God's fulfillment of that promise. In Luke's gospel that she sings of God's ancient hope for Israel fulfilled in her, 15, 16-year-old her. She says, yes, I'll be a part of that story. And then last week we looked at the genealogies, everybody's favorite part of the text. You love it. You read it all the time. The passage with uh, all of the uh, characters of the family, and then we were uh, exploring, especially the women, five of them listed there, which remind us. That when we wonder whether or not Jesus can show up with power in families that have odd histories, have broken stories, broken hearts, and broken promises, we realize he already did in his own. These are his people. We are his people. And today we gather around Luke 2, one more story of light breaking into dark places and the darkness not overcoming it. Luke 2 begins by naming the emperor who sits in Rome, uh, who is the undisputed lord over all that he surveys. Good news would go out and declare both his birth and his ascension to the empire's throne. There would be heralds of that gospel, that good news. He'd be called son of God. These are titles he would claim for himself. And Luke wants that background, that overshadowing cloud to be behind this story of inbreaking in Christ so that we would see there are others who claim this. Here's where to look if you want the real thing. And so Caesar has the power to tell folks where to go so he can count them so he can tax them. And so that's where our holy family is on the way, Mary and Joseph down from Galilee to Bethlehem of Judea outside of Jerusalem, David's town. Remember David, king uh, that they looked back to with hope from whom uh, Joseph is descended. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, here we got to adjust ourselves here. I didn't wait when I got out of bed for my eyes to adjust to the light. Our eyes are amazing. They will adjust to darkness, almost total darkness. Our uh, pupils expand and contract to let in more or less light. And we have this uh, photochemical in our eyes that uh, is called Rodospin, which sounds like a, a character in a children's story or a bad prince like in Russia, but it's actually uh, this thing that breaks apart and comes together based on light, rotospin, and it affects how we see in light, and that's why some people don't see very well at night. It doesn't do its process all that well. Vitamin A is very important for this, um, and so that's why carrots and bunnies are all really good at night. I don't know. Um, and they have this in their eyes, and so that's how our, our, we adjust to that. But that takes some time. The pupil's pretty fast. But that, that chemical reaction that responds to light, it, it takes some time to adjust. And generally speaking, if we let our eyes adjust, then we can see pretty well. But I didn't do that, and so I hit an obstacle and busted into it and fell over, assuming I knew the way. 
Here, our eyes need to be adjusted to the fact that shepherds, probably in our imagination, and oftentimes the nativity scene, look a whole lot like Gandalf. Right? Shepherds are old, they have gray beards, they're kind of dwarf-like, and they hold the sticks and they come. That is uh, very unlikely to be the case in the first century. Uh, most likely, these are young people. Remember, David's a shepherd, and he misses out on going to fight the battle. He shows up late. Um, his brothers are there. He's too young. What's he doing when he's too young to go fight? Being a shepherd. So we're talking like 10 to 14. If that resets your image, then we are dialed in properly uh, on what it would look like. 10 to 14. These are what we would call junior high kids. Do you remember junior high? I didn't mean to trigger you this morning because I remember junior high. That's who it is, 10 to 14. And if you think, oh, okay, all the boys would do this, girls too. Many girls, boys and girls, both would be shepherds in the family. And they'd learn the trade from older siblings or uh, aunts and uncles, nephews, whatever the relations would be. The trade of the family, sheeps in the fields. And there were wolves and there were foxes, there were lions, there were cheetahs, there were bears in ancient Israel. So that was what they would be defending them from. Here, we have shepherds on the night shift. So I don't know who like the lowest on the totem pole is, probably the 10-year-old. I'm going to sleep, you watch them in case something bad happens. And so they're out there watching by night, young junior high kids. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I bet they were. A couple junior high kids, half a dozen, something like that, out there watching sheep. Maybe they expect a bear. Maybe they could hear the cry of a, uh, a predator of some kind, a wild cat coming near and growling. But they weren't thinking that this darkness in which they sat and maybe dozed off would be penetrated with light that glowed in such a way that their eyes couldn't possibly catch up. And they were terrified at the presence of the glory of the Lord around them. But the angel said to them what angels always say, don't be afraid. Because the Christmas story is a story of our fears getting redirected to our faith. Don't be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you, this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah and Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a child wrapped in bands of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, a child wrapped in cloth is not that much of a sign. Most babies are wrapped in cloth until they take the cloth off and run around your neighbor's front yard and you have to go pick them up, hypothetically. So wrapping up in cloth is not really the sign. It's in a manger, which we know if we read our Luke 2 there before, Mary's laid him in a manger, a place of feeding for animals, which in a pinch makes a very nice bassinet. Uh, and there they are in that place, the baby's been born, and they're told, this is what you're going to see. Maybe there's other babies in Bethlehem. This is the one that's laying where animals eat, on hay, perhaps laid up in that manger. That's what you're going to go look for. In the ordinary, in the everyday, in a messy place. Go, go look there. And suddenly there was an angel multitude, a heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among all those whom he favors. Now, this whole scene is great. Denise at 8.15 said it was her favorite uh, passage in all of the Bible. Um, I don't know if it ranks number one for me. It's tough. But I find it interesting because we don't need it. There are parts of our scripture that we wouldn't know what to do in our faith without them. We could not have this story at all, and the whole Jesus story would make sense. So why did not only this occur, but did it uh, need to be recorded for us that we might encounter it and be different for that encounter? It seems to me that this moment where heaven cracks open and the light pours out and a song pours forth looks towards when this baby is grown and riding into Jerusalem 
and the folks are throwing their cloaks down and they're, they're waving palm branches of Israel's victory and they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Very similar song here. And they're, they're screaming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Finally, a king like David, our hope rides in to Jerusalem. And the folks in town are saying, whoa, whoa, Jesus, tell them to calm that down. The Romans are going to hear you. There's only one king. He's in Rome and he sometimes has a, a census that he wants to count folks before. And Jesus says, if they get quiet, these rocks will cry out. Now, I don't know if the rocks cry out because rocks get voices or because if no human voice will find the power to stand and declare, then the angels of heaven break forth and bounce their voices off the rocks. And here, there was no one else to celebrate. Mary's had a visit from an angel, Joseph presumably too at this point from Matthew's uh, gospel, and they're the only two folks that know something strange is afoot. Elizabeth and Zechariah have hints of this, um, but we have this holy family and no one outside the family seems to know what's really happening here. And so there's no one else to send to the baby shower. There's no one else to celebrate with great joy this good news for all people. And so heaven steps in and says, hey, there's some junior high kids in the valley out there. It's just stunning. And sings to them and says, you're, you should go see this. You can't, you're so close. You should, you should go. I know you know the way, but look for this. Look for a baby wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger. The angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that's taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. That is excellent syntax and grammar for a junior high kid. Well done. They say they're going to go see this thing. Of course they are. So they went with haste. Yeah, I'd run too. And found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Remember, that's the key. It's in that place. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about the child. Mary and Joseph, both visited by angels, now having this baby, leaving Galilee where they had been living, and now down to Bethlehem where their ancestors are from. Now they have a bunch of junior high kids show up. I, look, we've had four children, um, which is all the children we're going to have. Um, and uh, every time when we had them, I have never to myself thought, we brought the baby home and we wrapped it in, in cloths and we, lied it, we laid it in the manger in our home. I never thought, man, I hope the church sends about a half dozen junior high kids to come check on us. <laughs> that would be super helpful right now. Except it is helpful to Mary because even though we, we know the story and we, you know, Mary is unique and wonderful and, and blessed among women, as Luke says, she is all of those things. And yet she's still human and young. And she's had this experience. And like many people who've had potent encounters with God, powerful moments of God's presence, his word, his work in our life, those whispering voices had to come to her and say, didn't really happen. It wasn't really like that. You were talking to yourself, you know. It's just a way to make Joseph stay with you. All those gnawing lies that come and whisper in the night. Mary can't be immune. Jesus wasn't immune to those lies that come and say, if you are who you think you are, throw yourself down from the top of this temple. So we might expect Mary to be well. And so when other folks show up, junior high kids even, and say, look, heaven just busted open while we were trying to get our work shift done and started singing about this kid and we had to see it. What does that mean to her? It means what it means to everybody when God does something amazing in their life and somebody else says, I hear it too. I've seen it too. That same light has been poured into me, the edification of community that comes. And the next verse says, they were all amazed what the shepherd told them, but Mary treasured these words. They are witnesses to the fact that she has not lost her mind. 
which she's not the first young mother to wonder if she has. That this is a blessing, this burden. She's amazed, but she treasures them and ponders them in her heart. The shepherds return. That is, they go back to work, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It takes a bit for our eyes to adjust. I love uh, Christmas decorations. Specifically, I like decorated trees. I like the white lights. You may be a multicolored light family. All manners of sinners are welcome here. I like the white uh, light or yellow, whatever. I mean, that's not a color. It's just the, the singular color light on the tree. There's something about the contrast. It's beautiful when you see it sitting there in the darkness at night. I love coming downstairs and not tripping over things and seeing it by itself, the only thing lit up in a dark space. I love that. It doesn't look the same in the daytime. I love Christmas lights in yards, especially ones I don't have to put up. You can do whatever color you want. I'll drive around and look at them. It's beautiful. I love it. But the contrast is best seen in the darkness. It awakens us to a beauty we miss when the world is flooded with light. I love Christmas decorations during the day, but for a twisted reason. I love all these inflatables that have gotten so popular. We have one. When they are not plugged in or turned off. Because it looks like an elf or a reindeer or Santa or... Very little, few blow up Jesuses, but, uh, you know, shepherds sometimes have done like 500 miles an hour straight into the earth, and they're just flat. You've seen them, right? They're just flat, laid out, with face in the ground, uh, not plugged in. Because I was like, I see that, and I'm like, that, that inflatable understands me. That's how this season can feel. That's how it can feel. It can be flattening and, and draining, and we can feel empty, and we're not, not plugged in to the power that we need to be filled up with this story and this glory. And during the daytime, that's how it looks. And the lights, too. They can be on. Some people don't have the timer. They don't turn them off or don't unplug them, whatever. They're kind of faint. It's only in a dark world that those little sparkling lights reveal the beauty and the story that they're trying to tell. So the shepherds, too, are invited to have their vision altered by what they see and heard as it was told to them. And so are we. They are to see the world different. It takes a little time sometimes for our eyes to adjust. But I got to tell you, it's not to adjust to darkness. I think that's the problem. I think we are well attuned to seeing a dark, broken, and hurting world. The shepherds are told this is a story of great joy, of good news for all people. When was the last time you flipped on the news and you heard a report that was great joy, good news for all people? When was the last time you thought, that's the way the world is, it's always full of joy, it's good news, and it's for everybody? That, that isn't the way our eyes, our vision, our lives are dialed in and tuned to, not at all. It's in fact, we're dialed into the darkness, the brokenness, and pain of this present hour. And it's in that world our eyes have been dialed down that the light can kind of make us, like I do in these spotlights, kind of turn away from them and not look at them. And the angels say, look, if you're looking for it, if you want to see it, if you want to see it breaking in and born, it's born to you. Not just somebody else, but to you. You go and look in the mess. Go and look in the common and the normal and the everyday. Go look in the manger, and there you'll see it. It's a sign for you. That it's not a story for those folks for whom everything goes well all the time. 
It's not just a gift for those folks who sit on thrones in Rome. It's not just a gift for those whose Christmas cards look like we look our lives did. It's not just for those that always make the team, that are the star of the song, that always get, it seems, everything that goes their way. It's not just a story for them. It's a story for the simple and the common and the messy and the broken and the hurting. There, go look. And you'll see the light breaking in that the darkness can overcome. And it will change our vision so that we'll see the world, though clouded in shadow and shame, though covered with darkness, we'll say, you know what? There is good news. That is great joy for all people. And the only people it isn't good news for are Caesar and Herod and their ilk who fight against it. Because the sign has gone up in John that a way is being made and God is coming to his home. He is going to reign for his people. And the only folks for whom this isn't a joyous celebration are those who want to fight the invasion. Who lay down on the road and say, nah, you can't construct this, not while I'm here. I'm going to lay down right here. Well, Maybe for them it doesn't wind up being great joy, but only because they chose to set themselves against it and they didn't have their eyes fixed upon the light breaking in. So it may take some time, but here's the invitation and challenge of Christmas. Is it the lights of candles that we light each week, of decorations on trees or in yards? That light sparks in our vision a new way of seeing the world, that we become witnesses to faith that is stronger than our fears doesn't mean we're not afraid. These junior high kids were terrified, but their faith and their curiosity kept them going forward on the road, and so they got to see. So too for us. That our faith is more powerful than our fear. That this light we have seen, that beauty, truth, love, and wonder in the world, though faint at times, though just a shining light in a dark expanse of other stories being told, will endure. And indeed, the promise is such that when this baby grows up and dies on the cross and wins victory over death and comes back in the final fulfillment of all things, is we don't even need the sun anymore. Because Revelation ends with a story of light from God's presence like the shepherds glimpse just a bit of in that valley. There's no need for the sun. There's no more night. The glory of the Lord becomes the light by which we see. So we have caught a glimpse. And now we join, and I know you're excited, the road construction. The bond has been issued. It's been paid for. We get to join in and making straight the path. John called us to this work. Like shepherds, we come young and less young. And all in between are called to this amazing work, and it means seeing the world differently, speaking great joy, good news for all people. Treasuring and pondering in our hearts this story and having other people tell us that they've glimpsed it too until everybody everywhere has been invited to look in the simple and normal and feeding animals baseness of a manger and say, yep, even there, that's the place God showed up. The God who shows up in Bethlehem, shows up in hearts and homes of those who invite him to be born yet again, because that promise to the shepherds is still true. That tonight, today, and forever can be born to us, to you is born, a savior, a king, a ruler of light and life that the darkness will not overcome. Come and make straight the paths. Come and pick up those who trip over the Ottomans of the uh, obstacles in their way. 
come and get cleaned up and dusted off and washed in the water that you might come home dressed and ready for the celebration of the king. This Christmas, hear the challenge and the call and the invitation to see, be, and do different. For the glory of the Lord is coming. It has been glimpsed and it will be poured out again. And in a dark and hurting and painful world, we get to be witnesses to its presence, its power, and its possibility. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your glory that shines light in dark places. May we, if we have dark places, let that light shine in us. May we know that this is for us and not just for those to whom uh, everything seems easy or for those to whom come from different families or have different stories or look differently or are different. Instead, it's for all people, including us, may it be born to us like these shepherds. And may we, when we're looking for your work in the world, look not to thrones in Rome, but instead to the ordinary and the everyday twinkling of love and beauty breaking forth in darkness. That this amazing gift in Bethlehem would be ours indeed to open yet again this year. As the decorations, as the invitations, and as all the planning draws closer to you, Lord to this story, that we realize you are constructing and you invite us to join in a pathway. In fact, we've met him, Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So may we walk that way and invite others to join us as the high places are made low and the low places are made high and the smooth comes to the plain. And we walk in ways that lead to you with others in the invitation of being your people in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.